Welcome to Cinema Duel, a podcast where myself, John, and my friend Chris talk about a couple of movies around a theme of our choosing. Chris, how are you hanging in there today? I'm hanging in there, John. Uh, as we were talking earlier, this may be a slightly less energetic show than normal, not only because of the subject we're talking about, but um, I'm not feeling great. I have taken a COVID test. I am so far negative, but uh, symptoms continue. Um, so I'll be checking in daily to make sure that I don't have that. I am, of course, vaccinated and boosted, but uh, feeling pri- <laughs> feeling pretty crappy. Uh, so uh, I've got plenty of liquids here, plenty of refreshments to keep me going, uh, and we'll see where this takes us. How, how are you today? Uh, I am fresh off a two-hour nap, so probably feeling in better spirits than you are uh though as i had told you earlier that i spent six hours at a fucking car dealership so uh not not sickness related but my soul is is largely uh (laughs) damaged uh today um yeah uh today uh we're gonna be talking about a couple of films by edward yang um for myself, I this was my pick, and there's no especially um, profound uh, reason for picking uh, Mr. Yang, uh, other than his name came up on uh, on a certain March Madness tournament recently, and I saw a little brief bio of him, and I was like, "Well, that sounds pretty cool." Um, and not to end for me, this won't really form much of a any sort of thoughts I have on either films. Um, but since, uh, Edward Yang is important to the, uh, you know, the Taiwan film scene, um, I just thought it, I, part of me thought it was also kind of neat because there is, um, one of the younger, one of the earliest trips I took, uh, in my life was a six week trip to Taipei. Um, I was, I would have been less than three oh. years old. So I have, absolutely no memory of it but there is a in my parents house there is a photo album of that is literally just dedicated to uh chubby little john as a toddler wandering the streets of taipei so and 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 just pictures of the back of your head correct? pretty much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i see what you did there chris what about you was it your first time with some of these movies or had you seen them before it was definitely my first time with some of the movies. I had owned one of the films by Edward Yang, um, one that we're not going to talk about unless it comes up in recommendations, but I had picked up just because of word of mouth and because at, at the time Criterion was making a big push on Edward Yang, I had picked up A Brighter Summer's Day, um, which I had always meant to get to, but like, but also like the since abandoned Criterion catch up, which I will eventually get to once my my focus and attention allows me to watch a movie in actually one sitting. Um, he was um, an auteur that I always wanted to kind of catch up with. To, to your point, uh, he's a big part of the new tai, Taiwanese cinema. Cinema, I have heard a lot about him, um, so was always curious. But this was my first time I- experiencing his his film, so it was really interesting to kind of get a glimpse of um, you know a portion of a director's f- um, filmography and 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 start to kind of capture a little bit of what that essence looks like. We probably won't be able to go as deep as we would like to, um, just because of the availability of some of his films um, and the length of some of his films being what they are. But um, I was really glad I, we had tossed around a couple of different topics for this month 
before settling on Ed, Edward Yang. And, and in the end, uh, I'm very glad we did because he's someone that I'm going to continue to kind of dig into after this episode is over. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I certainly have some some takeaways and thoughts uh, in regards to both of our movies. But this, and I think this is even the literal plot of one of them, is that uh, it's hard to, uh, it's that it's, it's, yeah. it's hard to grasp everything in one go. And so there's a process of always learning more. Well, particularly when one of these plots it seems to have direct bearing on your life in a, in, in a roundabout fashion. I uh, checked up as I was um, looking through some of the reviews for one of our films. I saw your quick kind of side review for one of them. And uh, as as I read your thing, I thought back to the film and I'm like, oh yeah, this, <laughs> this has some resonance for John. Uh, so I'm interested to hear your, your, your take on it tonight. Well, then why don't we, uh, why don't we get started then with our first, uh, film for the day, which is 1985's Taipei Story. So Taipei Story is, um, again, we mentioned before it came out in 1985. Uh, if we are tracking this according to my own personal history, which seemed like a good idea to me, I guess, when I mentioned why I wanted to talk about Edward Yang, uh, this would have been came out maybe two, three years before uh, the referenced uh, trip. Um, again, I'm mostly comparing my own experiences by like the pictures in the photo albums and stuff. So that's, that's more or less the, the personal connection there, I suppose. Um, but what this actually is uh, for anyone who isn't me is a story about the, a relationship between a couple um, played by uh, Ho Shao Shen and Ch- Sai Shin. Apologies if I'm getting the, the names off here. Um, uh, Chin uh, playing characters named uh, Chin and Lung. Um, and the story is, while it, it goes into a broader, like, cast of characters these two characters are the central couple at the um for whom the film is largely about and is about the breakdown of their relationship and so from a plot perspective um it's interesting that uh the the move like the movie starts with them already barely talking to each other and not really being on any way shape or form connected to each other as people and that's like as the literal height of their relationship as far as we see it. The movie opens up with them looking for an apartment and he says, yeah, I guess it's fine. And then cut to some number of weeks or months, months. later when he yeah. gets back from a trip to the U S and doesn't really like bother to catch her up on any of the details. What, what do you make of the, uh, what do you make of the relationship? Uh, or the like what's what's your take on the relationship angle to this particular movie yeah so it's it's interesting because I came at this movie, so I'm not sure the order that you watched the films in, but I came to this movie second after watching our second pick, which was, I think, the last film that Edward Yang made. Um, so this is going back to his earlier work. Um, so I'm, I'm already looking at this kind of as a rougher kind of auteur, kind of searching for his kind of his calling card in terms of a visual style and an aesthetic. But when we look at Chin and we look at Lung, 
the thing that really spoke out to me was, and part of this is from reading, part of this is from watching. We have two people that are basically disconnected from the start, right? So, I mean, you can say this story is about the, the deterioration of a relationship, but the relationship is never really strong even to begin with. And part of the reason is because I think Chin very much represents, we have to think about when this was placed. This is in 1985. So I don't know the exact year, but right before kind of Taiwan kind of loosens its its, its bonds from China or and, and everything else and becomes truly independent and allowed to express itself as it sees fit. So it's stuck in this kind of in-between zone of um, the modern world and the, the modern way of thinking and an older kind of way of thinking. And I think when I think of the relationship, I think of Lung and I think of Chin, I think of that dichotomy. I think of Lung as embracing the modern and trying to embrace the future direction of where Taiwan is going, right? She is a secretary to an executive for a company. She's looking to make her way up. She is thoroughly modern. When you look at her apartment, the apartment that they pick, it is once it's decorated, it is thoroughly modern. And then you look at Young, um, and it's interesting. I didn't know much about this, but um, Young is played by forgive me for this, Hu Sao Sen, who is also a huge director and leader of the new Taiwanese movement. He plays Lung, and um, he also co-wrote the story with Ed, with Ed, Edward Yang. He is firmly rooted in his childhood. He is firmly rooted in the past and the more... I don't want to say traditional structure of Taiwan, but he is firmly rooted in the nostalgia of his past. He was a former child baseball prodigy who kind of hit hard times, and he is firmly stuck in the old school. He is firmly stuck in relationships in the past, whether it's an ex-girlfriend or a kind of a rascal, ne'er-do-well, good-for-nothing um potential father-in-law, Chin's father. He has a deep relationship there with him. But this this relationship is not so much a relationship between two people. It's a relationship between two modes of thinking for Taiwan. And you start to see as Taiwan continues to modernize uh, that that old way kind of falls apart and not to throw a spoiler in here eventually dies uh, in the way you know to make way for modernity so as rough as I kind of found it I felt the relationship was really very much and and we'll talk about kind of the acting and the style maybe later but I felt it was a very obvious kind of stand-in for the way of progress for Taiwan that yeah and I think that that's in some of the, I, I did try to d read up a bit on the context surrounding the movie's production and some very, very like Cliff's Notes Taiwanese history. Um, broadly speaking, yeah, the the older, more traditional um, ways of being and relating to each other versus the uh, uh, with with Lung versus Chin, who is sort of striving uh, towards uh, the future. It it was interesting that. Like in the when when I first like just depending on which description like which synopsises you read of the movie, sometimes some of them will talk about. Uh, for example, even on Wikipedia, they describe him as Lung, a former baseball player, and so when you think of him as, if you think of someone like that dwelling on the nostalgia for his playing days that he's washed up, you usually think of someone who made it to the big leagues. Like you're thinking of, I don't know. 
any MLB player from the 90s who is now retired or whatever, right? But the second time around, it it was very... I realized that actually he's nostalgic and stuck on his Little League. Little League. Yeah, yeah it's basically. Little League. He is obsessed with reliving his glory days of Little League baseball. But to be fair, right, uh, I mean, not to go into a lot of detail on this, but in Japan and in Taiwan, baseball is a huge thing. The, the thing that made me, um, as I was watching this, I kept thinking of Akira Kurosawa, and I kept thinking of films like, I think it's Stray Dog that has a lot of baseball in it. Baseball is a much, as much as we think in North America, um, and of course, you and I being in different countries, um, I still think it's it's fairly pervasive. Um, as much as we think of baseball as like America's pastime, right? Particularly in the U.S., but also for North America with the Blue Jays and everything else, baseball was huge in Japan and in the surrounding areas. So I can certainly see the amount of import that may potentially have been placed on a little league championship. I mean, when they get to the end of the film and and um, Lung looks at an empty television set and kind of re-envisions um, a television broadcast of the championship Little League thing and how it was televised and they were touted as national heroes for winning this game. Um, so it's it's interesting just from a cultural perspective how similar the act of baseball is here than it, 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 compared to how it is in America as as well. That was a little bit rambling. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, and, and that's... And and that's fair. Um, the uh, when it comes to the uh, one of the things that I think is helpful when we're talking about this movie specifically, um, and, and I think also probably applies to the second one as well, is that the uh, <clears throat> the cast like when we watch these movies, um, if we are you you and I have talked about how it takes you have to be in the right frame of mind in order to watch them. And that frame of mind is usually not at the end of a long day when you're super tired Um, because (laughs) the, 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 the style of, of acting, of cinematography, of, of plotting is generally speaking, not especially bombastic. Um, And, and, and and Edward Rang, I think said as much like his goal was not to, um, you know, dazzle and uh, delight with, you know, crazy shit. but the and I think when it comes to the casting of this movie in particular, um, there was an interview with uh, Ho Shao Shen that I was from a few years ago, um, where he talked about how he was cast. I mean, he obviously helped write the story, but he was cast in the lead role because and, and various characters were cast or very various actors were cast in their roles because in the mind of Edward Yang they they fit that kind of role like they're as people uh with the implication being that i guess you wouldn't have to like stretch as much in like acting talents like you know you're already there i'm casting you because you're already that guy um yeah we should be clear this is his second film so he i mean it is still a this is very much a writer director kind of finding his footing so it would make sense that he's trying to cast people as efficiently as possible yeah and and i think that and and so when people are so that I would imagine that would translate to something that feels more naturalistic, um, that can, or that that's not as quite as 
obviously structured. Um, when I, again, on my second time around, I noticed that one of the things that helps to sort of further drive a wedge between uh, chin and lung is the uh, is when she discovers or she accuses him of having, uh, on his way back from the United States, spending a week uh, reconnecting with an ex-girlfriend, which he said he had not. So he straight up lied. And we know that he lied. Right. Um, but... The what I realized on the second time around was that he the reason that she knows that he lied is because she finds her sister at their apartment watching a bunch of VHS tapes with Japanese commercials taped on them. Right. And she's like, where did these where did these come from? He's like, there's a bag with a whole bunch of them. And that's where she real she puts two and two together that he was in Japan for longer than just a layover and uh, and then immediately goes to the ex-girlfriend. Uh, and, and that to me sort of betrays what, again, the, the, the cinematography doesn't, again, it's, it's, it's the, the images are beautifully composed. Um, but there's not a lot of flashy camera yeah. movements. I wanted to talk to you about yeah. that actually. So yeah, there's not a lot of, of flashy camera movements. Um, and there are, while this is not on the level as the movie we're going to talk about for the next film, um, there are certain compositions within the movie that are really beautifully framed. And the thing that I took away as I was trying to kind of compare Yang to my mind to what I have already seen in, in the past, um, we had talked about doing this as an episode, and I know you had balked after watching a couple of films, but the director that really came to mind for me was Ozu with this. Um, Yang is really good at, there are two things that I think Yang is really known for. Yang is really known for um, kind of showing the modernity and the urbanity of Taiwan as a city. There are few directors that I've seen that can really capture the living essence of a city like Edward Yang can, both in this and in the next movie we're going to talk about. And there are, are a couple of shots. He, he, he does a couple of things. It, it, it feels a little raw here. So there are moments where he frames people really nicely. There's a frame early on where he is, um, and I forget who it is. It's not Lung, but we see a, sh a shot inside the textile shop where Lung works. And just the way that it's composed with colors and frames and lines, it's beautifully composed. He does this a number of times in just very quiet, still shots, which is a signature of Ozu. Ozu is famous for not really moving his camera. And in films like um, Floating Weeds and Tokyo Story and other things, his camera is always very stationary because he is so concerned with the composition of shots. We see that here in Taipei Story as well, but it's, it, it's a little bit more kind of, I'm going to tell the story and I'm going to stop for a second and I'm going to show there was one great sequence of just shots of buildings. And the shots of buildings always had a telegraph line with the telephone wire poles intersecting the windows. So he does a series of like seven shots of buildings with windows with telephone lines intersecting. And it's a beautiful kind of just... It, for me, it was Yang finding his footing for what he would eventually do later. Um, but I think definitely this is a film that shows him kind of reaching for those kind of compositional structures. Uh, that That's fair. I think I potentially, based, based on our pre-show uh, pre chat 
I get the feeling that I might be a potentially more into this, uh, into this particular one, though I agree that, um, <clears throat> obviously this is, I, I think that a lot of his, the sort of the, his techniques that he does are put together, uh, more masterfully in in the second film um yeah it's slightly haphazard here which i which is okay right it's his second film he's trying to find where he's going to eventually go um and yeah we we haven't it's it's weird i sound probably very optimistic about this film because we're talking about specific things so we should probably at some point just talk about the film overall because I definitely have a thought about this film. Okay. So after the, like, we've talked about how the movie starts with uh, them getting an apartment together, sort of haphazardly, and then the, uh, and then Lung goes away to the States for a while. Um, presumably he wants to, uh, he's going to go visit his family who is uh, in the United States. Um, and with the hopes of possibly saving up enough money for, uh, for him to basically buy into whatever business his brother-in-law is in. And it's basically in this, in this setup, the going to the United States is sort of their, their dream where they're going to be able to make it rich and be successful. And, and once they get to the United States, um, get married as well. That's, that's sort of the, that's sort of where he, that's sort of his idea, I guess. But his whole thing is that he, can't really seem to get any momentum towards moving in that direction because he's always thinking about um, his past, his his baseball history. He's connecting with old relationships. He's very and when we're talking about him being you know more old school, like that that extends to like and it's not even necessary. Like when he goes to meet up with his ex girlfriend, it's not even necessarily. I mean, whether it is or isn't. Uh, you know, an affair, it's more out of a, no, we know each other. We have history. I'm going to be loyal to you. Even if like in the case of his father-in-law, that person is not deserving of loyalty. That's, that's, that's what, that's right. what you do. Right. So here's an interesting point. So, um, cause you bring up that piece with the potential affair with the ex-girlfriend. What's interesting is he comes back we had said this at the outset. This is not a firm relationship from the opening moments of the film. And in fact, we see that the reality is while he's in the United States, she's either initiating an affair, having an affair, or starting on the steps to an affair with her coworker while he's gone, right? There's there's the architect who is um, Losing his job and potentially in a failing marriage uh, over what's going on. And, and there's some relationship there with that guy. So even as long as in the United States doing whatever he's doing and doing this, this layover in Tokyo, Chin is not innocent as well. This is already kind of a doomed relationship at the very start of the movie. And again, you could argue from a perspective of the city is it you know she's embracing those things that are moving forward while he's embracing the past ex-girlfriends family that's moved over there um, father-in-laws that are tied into this kind of old way of living but it's interesting that as we talk about the movie as a whole and what yang is trying to do here i found this movie 
I, I, I liked the movie. I understood what it was doing. Um, I was not enamored of the movie. And part of my problem with the movie was just, I really didn't like any of the characters. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you, if you, if the two main characters here are Lung and Chin, who is the main character for you? Who is the character that you're more attuned to? And it's weird because it's hard because I think neither of them are ultimately right. I, but the movie does end up in a spot that favors one or the other. And it's actually, it's a part of the movie and it's easier to talk about it when we talk about the second film. Um, there is a... There is a twist in each film that doesn't feel right. Like, I, I'll go on record before we even tell you what the next movie is. I love the next movie. I love the next movie out of all proportion. Um, but there is one part of the next movie that kind of like, it doesn't work as well as I would like it to work. And it's the same thing here. And it's the act of violence that occurs. And the act of violence that occurs in both movies kind of set the stage for what happens afterwards. And here, the act of violence that occurs and the shock to the system that occurs in this film clearly puts you in the, in the shoes of one character to say like, oh, this is the character that survives the story. Is that character to you, John, without going into spoilers, unless you want to spoil it, which I'm fine, is that the character that you thought was the main character the whole time? Is that the character that you followed through the film the whole time? Uh, okay, I'm not going to say it immediately, but I am just going to say spoilers because, uh, yeah, I want to talk about the ending. Um, so I yeah. think that if we are talking about these two people both as people and as a symbolic uh, conflict between the uh, modernizing influences in Taiwan and the more traditional elements uh, in Taiwan. I think that neither are, I think that they're meant to be taken as a singular unit. I don't think that there is yeah. a division between one or the other. And you're right. Neither is correct. The, the violence that you're talking about, this is where the spoilers happen. Let's just, let's just, we're spoiling from here out what happens at the end of the of, of this movie. Chin throws Long out once he, he discover once she discovers that he was in Tokyo for longer than a layover with his ex-girlfriend. He goes, he gambles, he loses his car. During this time, she has lost her job um, and she has fallen in with her sister's crowd, which is a bunch of young kind of rebels. And she enters into a relationship with one of the young men in that crowd. Uh, it's, it's young men who, you know, as wild as he is, he's, he, he's studying for college. So that kind of goes on in, in the background. Lung comes back. They kind of reunite. They see each other. They go back to the apartment. And uh, she wants him to stay. She wants to get married. He realizes throughout the whole story he's been tied to the past and he can't escape the past. So he tells her, no, I'm not going to stay with you tonight. I'm going to leave. And he leaves. And as he walks out the door, he sees the young man that she has had kind of a brief fling with in her dalliance after she has lost her job and hooked up with her sister's gang of young kids. So what winds up happening is he um, is is leaving and he belligerently makes no sense to me at this point, goes to the young man and says, hey, stay away from Chin. 
know when your time is done. And he gets in his cab and he drives off. And the kid jumps on his motorcycle and follows him. Um, and on an abandoned road, he, he sees that he's being followed in the taxi. He dismisses the taxi, gets out of the taxi, addresses the kid. They fight. And during the fight at some point, they don't actually ever show it explicitly. The kid stabs Lung. Um, and after the kid runs away, kind of after getting the crap beat out of him, uh, kicked by Lung, um, he drives away and Lung's walking away and he realizes, oh, I'm not walking so well. And he looks and he's bleeding down his uh, side. And he ultimately dies. He goes on a corner and he dies um, from the result of that wound from the boyfriend. That's kind of the ending. So he dies and is, in, in, you know, put into an ambulance and carted away dead. And uh, Chin, who is has been trying to embrace the modern world all this time, gets a call from her former boss, who has got it in good with the new American company that has moved over to Taiwan. And she is now going to resume kind of her upward climb with her former boss in this new company. And that's how the movie ends. I think that Lung actually becomes more sympathetic throughout the movie because you do see him trying to like yeah. do right by people. But he's just not set up in a way where like, like he is being <laughs> in so many ways he is being replaced Uh metaphorically symbol literally in the case of the boyfriend thing on the other side you have chin the 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 modern uh the modern employee uh who is is chasing the you know the dream of the the more modern future and it leaves uh and when she gets <laughs> the movie starts with her being like yeah i'm i have this job and then by the time we cut to after the trip is gone she's like about to be she's like just about to be kicked out of her company. Like she's, if the relationship is already bad, then the next beat is her job just getting torn out from under her and she loses her sense of direction. And she, she doesn't even necessarily know what, like the movie ends with her not knowing that lung has died. Um, she just, he hasn't been returning her calls or whatever. Like he's, which you wouldn't if you were dead. Um, but when she's going to the save to us yeah when she's going to the new office space with her boss which she's reconnected with her boss is asking her about her plans and if she's still going to be moving to the united states with lung and in she doesn't respond but the inner monologue in, in her inner monologue she says i don't think so like we're probably not yeah that's a really weird moment um and that's where like i feel like it's interesting I'll be flat out. I, the movie to me is okay. I didn't love it, but I love seeing Edward Yang try different things. And I loved, excuse me, uh, that the end of this movie where there's no indication prior to this, all of a sudden it goes into voiceover narration, right? That, that end point that you're talking about, like, I don't understand why she couldn't have just spoken this out loud, but she's not. And it's a really interesting choice that Yang makes where that ending piece where she says, uh, I, th- I think her name is Miss May or Miss Mai says to Chin, like, oh, are you still going to America with Lung? And the response is in voiceover. That's such an interesting choice for him to make because nowhere in the rest of the movie would you anticipate that kind of thing happening. But all of a sudden it happens at the end of the movie. And I, and I, yeah, and I think that if there's, 
<laughs> again, she's making that decision without knowing that the decision has been made for her. Like she is deciding that this exactly. is not, she's not going to go forward in this relationship um, with their dreams and their hopes. Um, and, and I think that that's like, ultimately whether you're talking about the, the people or the ideologies that they represent, um, you're basically fucked either way. And it's a real bummer. And that <laughs> is, it's real fucking depressing. And yeah. it rules. This is a bummer. Well, it, so this is where we will part somewhat. This is a bummer of a movie. And it might be just because of my current situation circumstances. Um, it might be just by dint of the order of the movies I watched for Edward Yang. But I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again. Um, it was interesting to see Yang kind of stretch his wings and, and reach for themes that he's going to master later on like 15 years later master later on um but man this was a bummer and a slog of a movie and it was depressing and i didn't like either chin nor lung although you know in answer to the question i asked you earlier for me my sympathies always kind of lied with chin um just because Lung was so obstinate and just so tied to the past and not responding to his girlfriend the way that I would respond to my girlfriend were I in that circumstance. And it's, it, it's great that Yang kind of turns the tables at the end and, and shows like over the course of the movie, you know, even though he's not responding to her the way that he should, he's responding to everyone else the way that I would. Right. There's a whole subplot with um, he meets a former friend of his who was also big in the junior, you know, little league teams. And uh, he's got a wife who's a gambler and who has kids and he catches her gambling and abandoning her children. She later commits suicide and he's there to help and he's there to help the father-in-law. And you you find out it weirdly it, it, Yang and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing um Ho Xiao Xin, who co-wrote the 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 uh, script, I'm, I'm guessing that both of them came up with this kind of cadence of um, you find out through the ex-girlfriend in Tokyo the true relationship between Chin and her father and how terrible and how detrimental that relationship actually is, and yet he can't help but try to resolve the issues of the past. It, it's a real interesting as you go further to your point in the film you kind of see the reason why things are the way they are and, 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 and the actions that Lung is taking, why they are there. Because if you tie it to old school, you know, old way of living, new way of living, and this person is just tied to the old way of living, there becomes a kind of honor in the things that he's trying to do. Even though when we're focused on the core relationship of the film, which is between Lung and Chin, it is so detrimental to Chin. It, there's still a sense of honor in the way that he's trying to save everyone else from his past. Um, I really responded to that, even though I'll be honest, I did not really like this movie. <laughs> well, that is, uh, that is fine. I look forward to being depressed watching this again. <laughs> So our next film is actually the final film in Edward Yang's um, filmography, and that is 2000's Yi. Um, this is, if you think of 
Taipei story as a director kind of finding his footing and understanding the visual aesthetic and the storytelling themes that he wants to embody in his life's work. Yi Yi, to me, feels like the culmination of that. It is... I... I, I, I hesitate to kind of go through all of it because this was such an affecting film for me. Um, it, it has quickly become, and we'll talk about this at, at a later point, this has become one of my favorite films of all time. The movie is ostensibly about a family, the uh, Jian family, um, over the course of a year. And really the story is not a your typical narrative arc. It is the the life and breath of this family over the course of a year and the kind of signposts life events that happen over the course of that year. It starts with a um, wedding and it, it traverses to a hospitalization of a senior family member. Um, you see the birth of a child. You see, um, in a weird circumstance that we'll talk about, a murder and then eventually a death and then a closure. So this is the kind of the life and breath of a family over the course of a year. The family in question is the Jean family. Um these names are going to get slightly confusing, so I will call them out up front. There's the patriarch, NJ, his wife, Min Min, his teenage daughter, Ting Ting, and their young son, Yang Yang. And it is about their life and the events that they go through over the course of this year. Um, that's basically it. I mean, from an overarching plot, there is no kind of three-act structure. There is no kind of, this is the story of, for example, um, Ting Ting and uh, uh, her burgeoning sexuality and her first love, although that is a portion of the film. It is also not about Yang Yang and his exposure for the first time to a prominent death in his family and his burgeoning first love and how he um, responds to that. It's not about that either, even though that is part of the movie. It's not about Min Min, who is the mother whose, um, her mother um, goes into a coma and later dies, and her kind of trying to handle that sense of loss. It's not that either. It's also not about NJ, who is the patriarch of the family. He has tied all his money into his company, um, and that company is slowly going out of business unless they engage in a practice that is detrimental to his ethics um, and how he responds to that and how he responds to the resurgence of the love of his life after 20, 30 years of not being together. It's about none of that. And it's about all of that. It is about the cross of a family over time for a year. It is simultaneously the story of Taiwan and the story of the city. And, you know, we talked about when we talked about Taipei's story, um, Yang trying to find his footing visually and trying to embrace the traditional kind of views of Taiwan with the burgeoning new mud modern self of Taiwan and what that looked like. Um, that was a young director trying to figure out what to do. This is a veteran director at, um, unfortunately, the end of his life. He died tragically of, I think, cancer in 2007. This is in 2000. So this is his, his, his final movie. But this is a director completely in control of his facilities, completely in control of his technique. 
exploring Taiwan, exploring the life that a person lives in Taiwan, exploring the arc of life in Taiwan, and just kind of not so much criticizing it or critiquing it or having a statement about it, but just showing it for people to kind of live through. Um, I I hesitate to say more about it, John, until I hear from you. Kind of, what was your thought of Yi Yi? How did you respond to it, and and where did you come to it, either before or after Taipei Story? And kind of, what was your thought of Yang as a director? Kind of, unfortunately, at, at, at the end of his his timeline, did he start to solidify the things that he was kind of shooting for in Taipei Story? Do you think he was looking at different things? Kind of, how did you respond to the film as a whole? I think that. Um... <clears throat> Uh, so I watched, I think I ended up watching Yi after Taipei's story, and I think we both watched uh, A Brighter Summer's Day. Um, I think that in terms of like mastery of technique and storytelling and just sort of playing like the whole thing together. Yeah, this movie is, I think, I don't think that's controversial to say that it's, it is, uh, it, it produces a greater impact, uh, than, uh, than Taipei's story, though to, I think, um so like the the cinematography you can yeah again where it's you can see the beginnings of it in Taipei stories fully realized here um this does feel more optimistic i feel like <laughs> like it's not, it's completely it's, more it's, optimistic. it's not it's not as depressing which depending on your perspective uh, is a pro or a con um I, I i wouldn't say it is a con i just say it's 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 definitely a different vibe um i think that especially since we spent some time talking about the who we thought the central character was um in Taipei story and you had said that the that this was sort of not really about one character but about all of them um i do agree that this the strength of this movie is or, or one of the many strengths of this movie is how the ensemble works together but i actually do think like i come away with this basically following that this is the story of nj and that everyone sort of like follows the orbit like like min min the the part that she has to play is she's very good at that but when she when she can't handle it and disappears like she just disappears from the movie for most of it she does and uh i think probably uh ting ting is probably the person who has the most to do her story has the most to happen um, besides uh, NJ. And actually it is interesting to sort of consider the, 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 the parallels of their, the, the romance that NJ has with his ex and Ting Ting has with her friends uh, ex as, as tracking the, the, the status of those relationships as they go through. And then occasionally you get a little bit of yang yang shenanigans, uh, which is, <laughs> which, which is fun until the very end when, uh, yang yang just sort of drops the bombshell. That is the thesis for the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. So I agree with you a hundred percent. This is NJ's movie, right? You, most of it is kind of filtered through him and his relationship to the other people. Um, and I think Min Min's absence is essential to allow what happens for the other characters to transpire. Um, Ting Ting with her first love. And, and again, I, I, I think you're spot on. This is... 
this is Yang kind of masterly weaving everything he wants to do together. I think from a visual aesthetic, this movie is astounding. The composition here, like I talked about in Taipei Story, there are a couple scenes where the composition really strikes you. This whole movie compositionally is just gorgeous to look at 100%. his masterful use of color in this movie is <laughs> there's almost no equal to me um you know right down to to your point you know part of this is about ting ting and her first love and how that's reflected in nj kind of reconnecting with his lost love um from tokyo and there's a moment where ting ting has her first kiss under a um, series of streetlights and how those streetlights go from green to red and then, you know, how that is perfectly timed to her first kiss and her embrace of uh, Fatty, uh, which is the ex-boyfriend who who goes on to maybe be the weakest part of this film, um, which we'll talk about at the end. But uh, it, it is a masterclass of all of that. But 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 I agree with you 100 um, percent. Even though there is an accentuation and there is a focus on all of the characters, that focus all kind of filters up to NJ, who I think is the is the kind of center point for everything that else happens within the film. Like, so, for example, go back to Taipei's story where both characters are sort of having flirtations and possible semi-affairs. Who knows? Maybe not. But in that case, that those things happening is sort of a sign of the like the deterioration of the relationship right even though it's already in bad shape but this is sort of like the the last dying gasps of that in the in in yi yi um <clears throat> it there there's never what i think is fascinating about it is that there's a potential affair that's going to happen with nj and his ex but there's no judgment there's no like there's no con- there's not even really a conflict or you don't even get this i never really clocked any conflict between nj and min min it's no it's just th- 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 there's no clue that there is this is not about their relationship not working or being bad it's just bad things are happening and she deals with it by heading off to a retreat her mother's in a coma like not yeah. like th- that would be hard to deal with and and he is staying behind to to keep track of the family and to uh and also has like the professional troubles as well at work and like he he's he's very and he just handles it as best as he can and when he reconnects with someone like there's the the point of conflict where she's like you know he had he had left her all those years ago and it it was a real problem but like you don't get a sense that like there there's no there's no villainy here there's no uh, at, how, all. At, at all. And and I think that and then there's and when he connects with uh, the Japanese uh, businessman, Mr. Oda, that that's just wholesome. That is the, the friendship that they have is it's wonderful. It, it's so heartwarming. <laughs> and, and I think that's for me, probably the stuff that hits the the hardest for me is in this movie is the stuff where it's like the um, just overwhelming amount of grace and empathy for especially nj but like for for most of the characters in this film if there is a complaint that i have and i think you've already touched on it is well a fatty um which we should just be clear for anyone who hasn't watched the movie fatty is an ironic nickname the man is uh, a pencil um rail thin yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there is so there is in this movie 
there is a murder that takes place. A murder? That a murder? But so this is the one point where look, I want to I want to say this movie is perfect. I really want to say this movie is perfect. It's not perfect. And it's not perfect because of Fatty and there is similar to Taipei story. It's weird the parallels that happen here. Um we talk about these different rituals and like there is a marriage, there is a birth, there is a death. Um, you know, but none of these are huge momentous occasions. They're just kind of signposts for the arc of what is happening to this family, the Xi'an family. But then Yang weaves in a, a weird murder. And I don't know kind of how the murder works except for that it helps drive Ting Ting, the teenage daughter, back to her grandmother to kind of wrap up the story as a whole. Um, she, you know, Ting Ting is a very kind of naive, quiet teenager um, who kind of envies the, 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 the life that is happening kind of outside her door or outside her balcony in this case, where she sees her brand new neighbor making out with her boyfriend, um, from her balcony window that, that neighbor eventually runs into some weird issues with her, kind of ne'er-do-well mother and her boyfriends, one boyfriend of which may have been also been having an affair with the daughter and, you know, which caused her to break up with the, with, with Fatty, who then takes up a relationship with Ting Ting and then things kind of change and results in this crazy moment toward the end of the film where there is a brutal killing, (laughs) 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 which, uh, which becomes somewhat comical until you kind of realize. So the murder occurs and in Taiwan and in Asia, I've actually seen this in, in other instances as well. When a murder is reported on the news and they want to reenact it, they use video game. Imagery and computer graphics. So you're sitting there watching this kind of emotional, heavy moment, and it's broken by the newsreel footage of the murder where a computer generated person comes and beats the crap out of another person and blood spurts everywhere. And it kind of breaks your concentration for a moment and it keeps it from being as perfect as I think this movie is and as much as I love it, it's like the one piece where I'm like, yeah, look, I get it. That piece doesn't work as much and it doesn't lend itself toward the rest of the story like it should. I, w- I will throw you one <clears throat> and I'll uh, throw you one more and I think I've come to make peace with it, uh, but definitely the first time I watched it, it it really threw me for a loop for about like 30 minutes. The movie opens, of course, at the brother-in-law's wedding, uh, Addy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts with... Which we should say right off the bat, and again, this might be the fact that I'm three drinks in at this point, but the other thing I love about Yi Yi is even the side characters like Addy is delightful. Like there is a full arc for all the characters in this movie, including the stupid brother-in-law who owes money to NJ is marrying a woman who's pregnant because he got her pregnant and his insane ex-girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> pops up throughout the movie. This is, this is okay. It's the insane ex-girlfriend that I want to talk about okay. because Let, let's talk about her. So the movie opens on them doing the wedding pictures. And uh, it's very nice and serene. And then there's this the Addie's uh, ex-girlfriend uh, who 
is it's just it's just a unidentified woman walking into uh, the place where the reception is going to be held. I believe Union is the ex girlfriend. Union, okay. Yeah. Um, so Union walks in and unremarked upon, uh, just sort of quietly walks into the the room where the reception is going to be held, and some people from the some people in the room are like, who's that person? And some goes up and they go up to Yunyun and say, can I help you? And then she finds the grandma, the one who will go into a stroke and die and then start screaming about how I I am so sorry. I let you down. I should have been the one to marry. uh, I should have been the one to marry your son. I'm so terribly sorry. Where is that pregnant bitch? (laughs) (laughs) And and legit, the reason, so like, this movie is about, like, again, the quiet, intricate, beautiful, qu- like, just serene mastery of all of his stuff, right? But that is a, but that is how the movie starts. And so I thought this was going to be a movie about, like, I thought that was going to be somehow the inciting incident, the drama, the somehow thing <laughs> that makes this all three or four minutes into the movie, when, or like, at the reception, they do mention that it's like, yeah, people get it pregnant before they get married all the time it's no big deal it's fine like there they there's such emphasis and she makes such a striking impression that cuts through everything else in the movie and that that you're like oh this was maybe what the movie's about this must be about this this scandal of a a, a wedding happening with someone who's pregnant and then 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 re- it's immediately undercut and being like yeah don't worry about that <laughs> it's fine yeah it's an interesting so She's wonderful in the movie. I love her in the movie. I love her in Addie. Um, it does kind of take away from like w- you, you would be led to believe what's going on because in a typical Western narrative structure, like that would be the that would be the explosion point that kicks off the rest of the plot. But I I, I don't because there is no plot here. It's interesting how they use her as kind of like. I kind of think of her as a weird comic relief throughout the rest of the film. And it reminds me, if we're going to go back to Taipei Story for a second, which has very little humor in it at all. But there is a brief moment in the beginning of Taipei Story where um, Chin goes into the office of the man that she's been either about to have an affair with or contemplating having an affair with or having an affair with. And they're, they're, <laughs> they're peeking behind blinds. It's so obvious. They're peeking behind blinds, the people who've come in to buy the building and buy the company. And they say, uh, oh, that's, um, I don't remember the name, but that's like, oh, that's Ota. He's, he's the one buying the building. And it's like seven guys in sunglasses. And then, and then Jin says, well, which one is Ota? And then the other guy says, he's the one in the sunglasses. And it cuts back and they're all wearing sunglasses. <laughs> and it's just a, it's, it's a great, like, kind of like stupid comedic moment that just kind of throws you off the tonal center for a moment before it jumps back into the gravitas. And I think that's what Union is throughout this, this movie. She's not really pertinent to the film. Um, she has a couple of explosive moments. Adi is an idiot and in debt to NJ, and he's marrying this woman that he got pregnant. He loved Union. He gets thrown out of the house. He goes and has a night with Union and then comes back. I think it's just she's just there to kind of rebalance the tone once it's getting too far in one direction or another. 
And it's an interesting way that Yang uses her. And I, I'll, if I'm going to be honest, look, it's probably not completely pertinent to the story. I agree, but I like her so much. That's the difference for me between Yi Yi and Taipei's story. Even when the characters don't necessarily further the plot or work toward the plot, they're so good and you're so invested in them in a way that at least for me, I was not in Taipei's story. So I forgive Young Young all of her transgressions and her her uh, sins in this movie. I, I you just reminded me of two the two the two the other two crucial uh, Young Young uh, pieces. Well, one actually doesn't involve her at all. It's about Addie, but the, the, the is the baby shower um, where Addie's wife. I felt so bad for her because literally, like this is one of those insane moments where she. Like this person crashed her wedding and was screaming at her grandma, then is brought back against her without her knowledge and against her will. Um, and then everyone's telling her that she's being unreasonable for immediately <laughs> demanding that this person leave. I was like, yeah, this is, yeah, that's a rough deal. And then the second one is that uh, when she discovers Addie <clears throat> passed out naked in the bathroom, and I was just like, and 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 then later it explains what happens. But at first I was like, did he just like autoerotic asphyxiate himself? Like what the f- like what what dark shit is he getting up to? And it just turns out that there was a gas leak. There was a gas leak. He got drunk. He wasn't trying to kill himself. I assumed that he was what he was doing. Yeah. So I but but I think that's what so that's what his wife thought he was doing, right? Because he left. She was angry. He went back to the house. He um, he got drunk and passed out. There was a gas leak and he almost dies. And his wife comes in and assumes that he was so distraught over what happened that he was trying to kill himself. But then later when NJ is there <laughs> and Adi is in his underwear, just kind of with his wife sitting on the couch, you know, 100% he's, he's just like, I don't know what happened. I got drunk and I passed out. And it's just... It, it, and again, when a movie is three hours long and doesn't have an, a, a, like, a, again, a three act structure, you need those moments of levity to kind of carry you emotionally from point to point within the film. So I, I wish Taipei Story had those moments of levity. It doesn't. It has like these horrible moments of this terrible, like, like the moment where he goes to visit his friend and he sees that the wife is missing because she's out gambling. It like, it sinks low and has these moments of depravity and these moments of utter hopelessness and then perks back up to just these two people are having a disintegrating relationship. And I think like to my mind, Yang is Yang finally in 2000 was like, you know what we need to do instead? Instead of going down and then back up to the normal stuff, we need to go up get people's like moods a little bit more buoyant and then go back to the arc of what I'm trying to show. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably a fair point. Um, and we did cover it a bit in Taipei's story, but I do feel like this, we absolutely need to talk, uh, uh before we wrap up here about the, the cinematography again, not necessarily yes. as much, uh, uh, still not a lot of like insane camera movements, but in terms of shot composition, um, the scene where Min Min is breaking down and you can, and she's framed in such a way that she's on the right hand side and on the left hand side is the reflection of the back of her head. Um, as she's having this, it, 
it it was it was shocking um the the and this is i think true in both movies um the how many times he frames his shots so that you're seeing people from behind that they're they're you're seeing people but their their vision is obscured by windows or reflections of other images like the <clears throat> or even if it's not reflections of stuff people are often framed with the outside world sort of around them and you're always sort of you're always sort of conscious of the fact that the the outside world that these characters live in is like is there it's it's he's always making you aware of the external reality that sort of uh, that these characters inhabit well, I think that's where, so if, if, if we're going to try and draw comparisons to things that we've already talked about on the show in the past, um, this is where, even though the kineticism, the kineticism of the camera is not evident here in, Ed, in Edward Yang, I would compare him to Wong Kar Wai. Um, I, I don't know of many filmmakers that can bring to life a city like Yang can in his still shots. So I think everything that you're talking about speaks to what I think his kind of evolving aesthetic has been was to show Taiwan as a living, breathing city. And I, I don't think you can talk about Yi Yi unless you talk about Taiwan and you talk about the city and you talk about how he frames so much of what is happening in the buildings and in the architecture and in the streets and in the lights of what is occurring and even in the fields um, of what is occurring to NJ and the family, um, even the traffic. One of the things that to me was the most striking visually in Taipei story was the scenes of driving and the scenes of traffic and the way that that works and just how the traffic patterns are working and how people merge in and merge out. Are you being followed? Are you not being followed? How can I get in? Um, and I, I, I think Yang extends that to a to a to extrapolate to the entire city in Yi Yi, where everything is focused on where are you? I'm on the balcony on this building in this city. Where are you kissing her? I am below a street light on an overpass, you know, coming home down this street. Um his his sense of composition is gorgeous. His use of doors and his use of frames to to segment people w within the shots is extraordinary. He does it. We talked about it in Taipei Story. The very first shot is um, Lung kind of at the front door and her in another room talking through. Well, I can put a stereo here and I can put a TV here, um, and just how he uses frames within in all of Yi Yi, whether it's under the underpass and you see the the frames of the bridge there, or in the hallway. Um, I think there are so many great shots that take place in the hallway of the building where there's one section where we didn't talk about Yang Yang, who to your point, it kind of gives the movie its overall theme by the end. But <laughs> Yang Yang in his underwear, taking pictures with his camera, going around to behind the elevator and then coming back. And then, you know, people coming in and out of the elevator and hiding behind the corners so that they're not seen within the structure of the hallway of the apartment building where, you know, a lot of the action takes place. Um, the different doorways and the different frames where you don't see the grandmother or you do see the grandmother. At the end, when the grandmother actually dies, you never see it actually happen. You just see people standing in another frame looking at what's going on. Um, it's a it's a masterclass in composition and framing. And we're not and at this point, we're just talking about 
how he frames things with, you know, with, 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 with lines. We're not even talking about color. I think at this point, his use of color is extraordinary. Um, and typically when we talk about, you know, filmmakers with, with color, the first one that comes to my mind really aggressively would be like Wes Anderson in the way that he composes his shots and how he uses color themes to kind of dictate certain things. I, I think Yang is just as much an, a master in Yi Yi for the way that he uses color to differentiate certain things within the shot. During the break between uh, segments, uh, you and I had had a conversation around, does this uh, potentially go onto our uh, Hall of Fame uh, list? And I think that... If, and it's not, you said at the beginning, I think that it does for you. I think I want to watch it one more time uh, beforehand. So I am just putting, I, I'm saying this now so I can put officially put a pin in this, that the first thing that we're going to talk about on the next episode of Cinema Duel uh, is going to be is is going to be my decision on whether or not we uh, put Yi on the uh, on the Hall of Fame list, and then we can move on to whatever it is. Did you have any final thoughts that you wanted to to sort of wrap up our Yi conversation on? The only thing that I'll kind of point out is um, a couple of just kind of small pieces. Um, I do really like the way at the end of this movie. I don't think it's. I I I, I said earlier there was a parallel to Taipei Story, but it's a little bit more. Um, on the nose here. And that's the use of kind of magic realism. So at the end, um, we didn't really talk about Yang Yang at all, and maybe we, we should, but Ting Ting, the teenage girl, part of her arc is the guilt she carries over thinking that she was somehow responsible for the death of her grandmother um, and the coma that her grandmother is in because she forgot to take the garbage out that she was supposed to take out, which sounds funny. But when you see the context of life here in Taiwan in 2000, it, it, it's very serious. And there's a moment where after everything has gone wrong for her and she has experienced her first love only to have it kind of trashed in front of her. Um, she kind of breaks down and she breaks down in front of her comatose mother, grandmother, and falls asleep. And then you have this moment where um, it seems to be a dream, but the grandmother is alive and awake. And she is crafting a gorgeous moth out of origami. Um, and Ting Ting kind of lays her head on her lap and kind of confesses everything that she's feeling and kind of lets everything out and says, I'm, I'm so tired. I just need to sleep. This has been so stressful. And the grandmother's just listening and gives her the moth and she's holding it and she falls asleep. And then the movie kind of resumes reality and she wakes up in her own room and the grandmother has died. But Ting Ting is holding the moth it's such a beautiful moment of just like, what are you supposed to make of this moment? Was it real? Is grandma a ghost? Did she just make it on her own and forget? And I love the, like Edward Yang is like, why are you even fucking asking that question? That's not what this is about. This is about the emotional closure that Ting Ting had, whether it was real or not, whether she confessed all the things that she was feeling and the, you know, I'm so broken because I feel like I'm responsible for what happened to you because I didn't take out the garbage. And I'm, I'm having all of these incredible feelings about love and, and, and lust and all this is happening. It doesn't matter if any of that was done in reality or if it was done in a dream. 
she is absolved. She has found closure in, and she has found an acceptance in that. And, and that's what the moth represents in her hand, whether there's magic to it or not. I love that moment. It might be one of my favorite moments of the film. Um, just that moment of, is there magic or is there not magic? And I kind of equated it to in Taipei's story, you know, as long as dying, that he looks at the television set and he hears and relives the broadcast where he and his team were kind of hailed as the heroes of Taiwan for winning the big game. Um, it's not quite the same. It's not as, it's not as blatant in Taipei as it is in Yi Yi. And I love that it's as blatant and as kind of direct as it is in Yi Yi. So that's one thing that I wanted to point out. That's, it's, it's just such a wonderful moment. And then finally, we didn't really talk about Yang Yang, the young boy, and his, he brings a lot of the levity and the comic relief to the film as well, but he's actually got a fairly heavy arc as well about being bullied, um, not only by schoolmates, but by school teachers. And what it feels like to be a young kid um, and to feel the stirrings of love, but not really know what that is. Like he doesn't recognize it as love. He just feels there's his torturer and there's a, an incredible moment. If you want to talk about composition and framing in Yang, probably one of my favorite compositional moments of the film is there's a moment where Yang Yang and his friends drop a water balloon off a balcony in the school and hit the, the jackass teacher who starts like screaming, fuck you, you fucking kids. I'm going to fucking find you. And he's running after him and the kids all run away and Yang Yang runs away. And he runs into a um, auditorium where there's this documentary being played on this huge screen about nature or, or weather. I, I, I don't really know what's happening, but there's a lightning storm going on and he goes and he hides in the corner and he sits down and he watches. And then the girl who through the whole course of the movie has been his kind of nemesis and has turned him into the authorities for at one point they thought he had a condom and it was what it was just a balloon and just they're always um, getting him. But she comes in as well because she was the intended target for the water balloon. Now she comes into the amphitheater and um, as she passes him, and stands up. First, there's there's two moments that happen really close to each other. She kind of sits in such a way that her skirt flashes up and he sees her underpants for the first time. And there's that like connection of like lust and love, but you're so young you don't know what it is. But then Yang doesn't focus on that. Yang focuses on her silhouetted against the screen of thunder and lightning. And Yang Yang is watching this and he's watching her in a way that kind of speaks to the magic of first love, the magic of quite literally the lightning bolt that hits you when you feel the stirrings of love for the first time. And he visualizes it by putting this woman, this young girl in the frame of a movie where lightning is striking. And it's such a gorgeous moment. It's such a beautiful moment. It's so obvious, but at the same time, it's so beautifully composed and it's so purposeful in its intent that I can't help but fall in love with it. Um, and it just endears me. Again, this is a movie that has ostensibly a main character in NJ, but every character has a part to play and it's an important part to play. And that that part drives Yang Yang to then, to, to then do these crazy things like watch her and learn to swim and then finally 
speak for the first time. He doesn't speak the entire movie until the end of the movie where he gives a eulogy for his grandmother and, and uh, right before then kind of speaks to what he's been doing this whole time, taking pictures of people's heads because it's something that they can never see for themselves. So he helps them to see it's, it's, it's so on the nose and at the same time, so gorgeous in its eloquence um, that it, those are those moments with Yang Yang that really made me almost more than anything else, fall in love with the film as a whole. So that was probably a long way around me just saying, yeah, I have a couple more thoughts about the film that I want to get out before we close to recommendations. Uh, but this movie means that much to me. It, it, it was such a joy to behold. It's one of those moments where you see something and, and, and I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast, uh, all 10 of you, um, and you too, John, like you have an experience where you see a film and you're not sure what you're seeing, but you're feeling those stirrings inside. And by the end of the film, you've come away with like, oh, I just saw something that's going to change the way that I view films and the way that I view life moving forward. And for me, Yee Yee is one of those films. Chris, I didn't uh, I didn't tell you beforehand, but the way that you summarize your thoughts at the end there, uh set me up beautifully to talk about uh the film that i'm going to recommend uh for this uh recommendation segment uh it has nothing to do with edward yang whatsoever um but it is a movie that i watched recently and it kind of blew my fucking mind uh and that was breaking the waves by lars von trier um it is not <sighs> It, it is there are parts of it that are really hard to watch uh but the way that the movie when the movie closes out and you sort of like the, the final piece that Lars von Trier has to say about the status of the main character played by Emily Watson um who you know is struggling with mental health issues and uh is following a logic that makes sense to her, despite everyone else around her telling her that um, what she is doing doesn't make sense at best. Is mentally like is not like like if regardless of pretty much no one is supporting the things that she's doing, and the way that the film resolves and uh, justifies. Uh, Emily Watson, uh, what she has done throughout the course of the movie was one of the most like, like that it almost reaches the level of silence for me. Like, uh, just in terms of how, how impactful it was for me. And in both movies are about, you know, religious faith. Uh, and that is, uh, it was just, and again, I've seen Melancholia. And again, if we want to talk about depressing movies, I love me some Melancholia. Um, mm. But uh, I haven't really watched anything else by uh, Lars von Trier. And so I just decided, oh, I'll just throw this on and, and see what's up. And I wasn't sure how I felt about it. But then when the ending hit, I was like, oh, shit. Fuck. Hmm. God damn it. So, yeah. So I have never seen Breaking the Waves. Uh, I, I've only seen Melancholia by Lars Van Trier. So we should maybe consider doing a Lars Van Trier episode, maybe. I, <laughs> I mean, that uh, I wouldn't. Uh, well, actually, 
I mean, if it's just melancholy and breaking the waves, I know that those two are good. So I, <laughs> we go outside of that. I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that I I was it, almost like burn after reading, actually, where the ending hmm. is what actually sold me on the whole experience. And I was like, I was glad to have done this, but I didn't know it until the very end. <laughs> until you until you saw the end. OK. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I am I am intrigued, um, and we'll probably now go check that out, regardless of whether or not we do a show or not on it. I I support this one hundred percent. How about you? My attention span has not been in a place where I have been able to really focus for extended periods of time. I did focus on one thing, however, and it's weird why I focused on it. So the last movie that I watched, I don't know that I recommend it, but. Maybe you'll enjoy it. I watched Studio 666, which was the feature movie by Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. It is a horror movie, uh, ostensibly about them making their new album, and they go into a haunted house where um, another um, band tried to record an album and all died under mysterious circumstances. It's a comedy. It's horror. It's very violent and very gruesome, and it's very, very stupid. I'm not a big Foo fighters fan um but i really like kind of what they put across and what they stand for so i wound up watching studio 666 and then i wound up watching immediately afterwards um the foo fighters documentary back and forth which talked about their life and and kind of the genesis of dave grohl what happened post nirvana up until i think it was 2012 uh when they had released whatever album that was i'm sorry i don't know that because again i'm not a foo fighters fan but after that, I wound up starting to watch um, Sonic Highways, which was a eight-part documentary series on HBO about the Foo Fighters recording their album Sonic Highways, um, each song in a new city, and each episode kind of dives into the musical history. And each of those things were fascinating. The reason why I make this my recommendation is because sometimes we have preconceived notions of things, whether it be a director or an actor or a movie or a piece of work that we just decide is not going to be for us. Um, And if there's any intent of Cinema Duel or any intent of anything that we kind of do, it's to engage and open ourselves to maybe experiences that we probably wouldn't have invited otherwise. Um, I, I owned A Brighter Summer Day. You know, I always intend to watch it. I don't know that I ever would have got to it unless we really did an episode on on Ed, Ed, Edward Yang. I know I definitely wouldn't have seen Yi Yi, which is now one of my favorite films of all time. Um, so really, if this is a recommendation, it's a recommendation to search out those things that maybe there's a spark that intrigues you even though every other part of you is saying, you don't care about this, don't check it out, don't seek it out. Um, So my recommendation is to find that thing, whether it's a Foo Fighters documentary or something else, and try to engage yourself um, and see if you can be surprised. Uh, That's my recommendation, John. On that particularly exuberant note, I think it's probably time for us to uh, call it for tonight. Um, You can check out uh, our currently less than robustly active website cinemaduel.com where hopefully we will be able to uh, become more active uh, at some point in the near future. Take care of each other, stay safe, stay healthy, and do the best you can and uh, try and do something that makes you happy. Couldn't say it better myself. We'll see you next time, guys. 